Welcome to Selfless Security Chat Chat, episode 63 for June 9th, 2011. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and this week my guest is Richard Baldry. Rich is uh, our product manager for our Mac and web security products here in the Vancouver office. Welcome, Rich. Hi, Chet. Thanks for having me along. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here, finally. Yeah, it's good to have different guests on all the time, and uh, now that... Uh, Mr. Argast, my former common guest, is no longer with Sophos. I've, I've been mixing things up and trying to get new faces and new personalities involved, and it's quite fun to have different folks here to kind of share some of their background because a lot of us, well, Rich, you've been here at the company just about forever, I think. How many years now? 18 years here. 18 yeah. years. So in, in, in that much time, you've managed to dip your fingers into a lot of different areas of Sophos and have a lot of uh, interesting experiences and security to share with us. So yep. um, I'm going to cover the news quickly, and then I want to talk to you a bit about this Mac stuff. I mean, there's a lot more to Mac security than simply talking about the fake AV stuff that's been going around, and, and uh, I'd like to chat with you a little bit about that when we uh, after we cover the news. So to start with the news, it, this may not sound like news. It's sort of like um, suicide bomber hits Baghdad. Um, Sony hacked again. Uh, depending on whose count list you're using, uh, it, it looks like a hack number 18 occurred yesterday afternoon in a six-week period against Sony. Um, if you're interested in the details of knowing these counts and what happened in them, there's a great chart up at attrition.org. Um, they've documented each and everything and, and, and linked to um, credible articles elsewhere that, that include detailed information about what happened in each one of them. Uh, it looks to be just more gross negligence on behalf of Sony at this point. I mean, they were hit with a sequel injection, cross-site scripting, and iframe injection flaw all on the sonymusic.pt, uh, which is their Portugal website. It's starting to appear that they just, they're not trying. Uh, this morning, they finally acknowledged the breach from a week ago on June 2nd that affected 35,000 people's information that was leaked through an attack from a group called LulzSec, who seemed to be getting lots of the lulls. But, um, you know, these attacks have been continuing against Sony and a few other companies have been involved recently as well. So it's just really been a, a data breach nightmare the last few weeks. Uh, Acer Computers, I believe, had an incident um, leaking about 32,000 records. And there were two attacks against the Canadian Conservative Party website this week that uh, disclosed about 1,700 Conservative Party donors' information yesterday. Um, Honda Canada a few weeks ago. It's just um, it, it's kind of been really uh, unfortunate in the, the data security space. Other stories, RSA. So you know, a lot of folks talking about the breach over there. But uh, Rich and I, you were we were just talking before the podcast. There's kind of a angle here that may be missing. And I was worried about this a little bit ourselves with the type of authentication we use here at Sophos and that people feel secure when they have this token in their pocket, whether it be a smart card or a YubiKey or an RSA token or whatever type of security it might be that is supposed to enhance our security compared to just having a password. And, you know, do you think that people then decide that they can be, that, that it's okay now to have a password of password and a pin of one, two, three, four, because I've got this magic crypto token? Well, well, I think all these things that tend to be sort of mysterious black boxes, don't they? they to, to a lot of users, it's a, it's a device and it says security on the outside and, and, and so therefore you're, you're secure. And I think um, if there's one thing I've learned in 18 years in the industry, it's that, it's that uh, we have to educate people. People need to learn about um, the process of security, um, learn more and more. We can't, you know, we can't expect them all to become experts, but understanding that, that it's not simply about having one thing or one point in time being secure. It's more about uh, um, understanding the whole process and, 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 and living your life in a, in a more secure way. 
Well, yeah, and I guess it's not really two factors if when you get the second factor, you decide that the first factor can be insecure, right? Because then you only yeah. store down to one factor, which happens in this case, maybe just be the token if you've been irresponsible. Yeah. And, and you know, RSA's advice to people saying, make sure your users are using secure passwords and pins in conjunction with their tokens and you still have a modicum of security isn't bad advice, but it's no more or less true than it was before they were breached. It doesn't really give us any clues as to if this thing is just a three ounce thing on my keychain or if it actually is enhancing my security. Yeah. I mean, if again, putting it into a, a real world um, um, parallel, if, if you've got a, a lock on your front door, it's, it's great, but it's not, it's not secure if there are 15 keys going around the, the 15 copies of your key. Um, and, and everyone has a copy of your key. Uh, it, it's having the mechanism there is, is only one part of the, of the process. Well, I guess having the thing be a mystery to the average person is, does make it difficult for them. I noticed when I went to visit my parents last time I went home, they had, a, uh, they had replaced the, the old traditional lock on their garage door with this thing where you punch in a four-digit pin on the panel and it opens the garage door. And they thought, well, isn't this great? And it's high-tech and it's security. And I'm like, actually, it's way less secure. I would have a hell of a time breaking the lock. But that four-digit pin, it'd only take me a couple hours and I'm in. Like, <laughs> if I've got time on my hands, yeah. that's brilliant, right? And, of course, you know, the pin is something very secure as well, like, you know, one, two, two, one. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, you never, you know, make sure you don't forget and you, you gave it to the, the, uh, the, the, the guy that does the lawn and the <laughs> Everybody and their brother has it in essence. It's more open than it ever was. So, so the, the technology is just the beginning, really, isn't it? It's like with encryption. The, the, ab the ability to scramble up data, that's the easy part of encryption. The hard part of encryption is being able to manage the, 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 the keys and keep them secret or to, to, to have, them, have them managed in a way that's actually usable and, and, and that still keeps, keeps the data secure. You know, there's no point in sending an encrypted document and also saying, here's the password in the same email, for example. You know, you know, it's, only, it's only a part of the solution. Yeah, well, and I think that that's something that I've been talking about the last couple of weeks on previous podcasts is that security is not a product, it's a process. Yeah. And most organizations that I talk to um, seem to have bought most of the right tools now. They have all the things they need to run a reasonably secure operation, but management seems to have left them afloat with, you bought all the stuff, so we're done as opposed to investing in the people to implement those things correctly and use them properly so that you can actually benefit, reap the reward of all the yeah. technology combined with your human intelligence to actually get to a better place. Yeah. I mean, it's one, but it's one of the responsibilities that we have as well as a vendor. And I think as a product manager, it's, it's what I try to do with the products that we build is to try and actually make that easier as well. So, so give people the tools, put them in their right hands and, and try and take away some of the rough edges of, of, of that management, but still, uh, still, still make sure that, that they end up with a process that's secure, but without having perhaps having to turn it all into a science project. Well, yeah, yeah you don't want to have to um, to take a two-week training course in order to know how to yeah. use the product properly, which unfortunately has been the case with a lot of, especially a lot of first-generation security tools. Yeah. Um, and you know, making things easy is important, but I think it's it's equally as important for us to share with people when they're in the purchasing process how to do it properly, and you know, yeah. give them that that fatherly advice of you know what we actually do spend 40 hours a week each studying this problem we know you don't have time to do that yourself so let us give you a few tips that will from what we've learned because you, you probably don't have the time yourself to deep dive on this stuff yep. other stories this week uh, Citibank disclosed one percent of their cardholders uh, had data compromised this week unfortunately that didn't include their social security numbers CVV codes or expiration dates, but it did include their card numbers, birth dates, and other things. So if you're a city card holder, you should certainly be on the lookout because it may sound quite credible if 
somebody were to call you on the telephone or to send you an email and say, your card number 4444, blah, 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 we need to confirm this or could you give us this detail, you normally consider your credit card number itself to be kind of a secret number and somebody, somebody simply having that doesn't actually mean that they are Citibank. So they will be notifying all the customers that were affected. So if you are an affected customer, you should hear from them in the next week or two. And if not, you should, I guess, assume that your data is secure. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm a little disappointed. We again talked a little bit, Rich. I mean, they, you would think that one of the world's largest banks, and I believe they are the world's largest card issuer with 150 million credit cards globally, would understand the importance of encryption. And clearly this data, again, was not encrypted. So I'm curious, so PCI requires that the vendors who accept these credit cards encrypt them, yeah. but then the people who issue them don't have to? Well, you'd have thought, you'd have thought they'd be bound, bound by at least the same rules, if not, uh, if not stronger ones. It's, 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 it's crazy. But you, you might, I mean, you, the, your point about being wary of people ringing you up as well is, is a really interesting one. I mean, one of, one of my favorite things about credit cards at the moment is, that, is the way that if I use my credit card in a way that I haven't before, I'll get a call from the card company saying, you know, we were, we were monitoring you and or monitoring the, your, the behavior on your card and, and we've seen this charge going through and usually it's fine. Um, but, you know, that, that's, it's, that's a great service. It makes me feel more comfortable. But at the same time, I, I'm also very wary whenever someone from a credit card company or from, a, from any kind of company rings up and asks me to try and talk about that account from a, in a sort of an unsolicited phone call kind of way. You, know, you never really want to do that unless you've actually initiated the call. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in my post on Naked Security about the Citibank breach last night, that was kind of how I concluded the article, was just under no uncertain terms when it's related to your finances, never accept an incoming communication of any sort, whether it be an email, uh, instant message, telephone call, fax, you know, whatever it is, never accept anything in incoming. And hopefully the banks are getting the message that they should not be contacting us in these uh, in these ways. I guess the telephone call is a hard one for them to avoid if there's a fraud situation. But uh, you should never talk to them. If they're calling you to talk about something, you simply tell them that you're going to hang up and call back and is there an extension you should push in to reach them and you're going to call the number on the back of the card or on your statement that you received in the mail from them and, and try to stick to that. And it's hard sometimes when you're stressed because yeah. you're worried about something to not fall into that. But I could see very easily getting that fraud call that you talk about and then having them go, but we need to verify that we've reached you, Mr. Baldry. Could you please tell us the expiration date on your card, which is the only thing they didn't steal from Citibank. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you'd be like, it's only the expiration date. What's the harm, right? Yeah. It, it, there's only about 25 possibilities before it expires anyway. They could guess almost, right? Yeah. That's an interesting one. Facebook, uh, you know, facial recognition. I mean, is, is this some sort of, uh, is this Skynet? I mean, do we have like some kind of out of control Mark Zuckerberg zombie process running through all of our photos now and identifying us without our permission? I don't know. It's another one of those bits of technology that's simultaneously very, very cool and, and, and very, very scary. I mean, I've, we've had it for a while on things like iPhoto on the Mac and Picasa, um, Google's photo management service. And, and I, I've used it at home and, and, and seen it go through my cat back catalog of photos. And, uh, you know, it, it does a reasonable job. It struggles with kids, you know, as they grow up so quickly. But, uh, but, it, but, but then at the same time, when, when you post stuff on, on Facebook, I think, um, I, I think part of it is, ju is just what you, you post. If I posted something two months ago, knowing that it was Facebook worked as it worked two months ago, then, then that's fine. But then all of a sudden they change things on you, don't they, without, without telling. And I think in some ways that's, 
that's that's the thing that feels a bit a bit a bit uh, creepy about it. Perhaps. Well, I think that's the uproar, isn't it? And things yeah. like Picasso or iPhoto or uh, these types of things, it's an option. And people who like it and think it's cool turn it on, and they yeah. do use it. So. Yeah. Why not present a pop-up to me saying, would you like to take advantage of this cool new thing we're doing? Check it out. It's really neat. Yeah. Instead of, um, actually, you forgot to log into Facebook this week. That means your friends have been tagging you automatically without you even knowing yeah. it for a week because you didn't log in the minute they turned it on to turn it off because you didn't want to be participate in the program. Yeah. And, you know, my friends are jokers. You know, they tag me as the pumpkin in all the Halloween photos. <laughs> and now, you know, does that mean Facebook thinks I'm snooky? Yeah. Like, I mean, how does this thing work? Like, oh, yeah. you know. I, I guess the other thing is with, with, with iPhoto, with Picasso, it's all it's all just a, a local database of, of all this, whatever data they use to recognize Yeah, it's on images. my computer until um, my computer's broken into, yeah, right? Yeah, but, but, but uh, I guess you could think of Facebook as creating a sort of single centralized database of what everyone looks like. And, it's uh, the Borg. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and I'm just waiting for the first law enforcement request that becomes public that takes advantage of this information to track someone down. Yeah. And they just simply didn't realize they had to untick it to keep their anonymity. Like, yeah, it just feels really dirty. And um, we'll see what the, the backlash has been quite strong. I mean, we've had uh, about th our third record day in a row on Naked Security for people responding to the posting that we had. And we've had over 3,000 new people sign up on our page on Facebook for information about Facebook security issues. So if you are a Facebook user and you want to keep in touch with us, please go to facebook.com slash security for the latest on privacy and security related issues. Uh, lastly, a quick, couple quick items. There was a new Adobe Flash uh, patch this week, so go to get.adobe.com slash Flash Player to get the latest edition, unless you're a Chrome user, in which case you're auto-magically protected. It, it patches for a zero-day flaw that was in the wild, so I, I encourage you to do that right away if you haven't already. And we did get the pre-release from Microsoft today for next Patch Tuesday, which is next Tuesday, which is uh, hopefully I will be doing the chat chat that Tuesday with a rundown of all the details of the patches. But what we do know at this point is there's 16 bulletins, nine of which are critical security rating from Microsoft. Um, Ten of them allow remote code execution, which is quite bad. And they affect products ranging from Windows, Microsoft Office, SQL Server, and Microsoft Forefront. Um, it looks like their Web Gateway Client, which is an optional tool that you can use as part of their web security solutions. Um, but it's always bad when your security solution introduces a remote code execution vulnerability. So uh, if you are using that product, you will want to probably jump all over that on Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Now, Mac security, um, wanted to talk to you a bit. We took a lot of flack, oh, you know, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Everybody's just jumping on the Mac malware bandwagon. And of course, when there's a user community that's at risk that doesn't believe they're at risk and you're watching them get mowed down by a new threat, I don't think it's irresponsible to make a bigger deal about it than you might normally about other things because it really is a message that needs to get out there to these users and it's no joke, especially considering we're not making any money on this. You know, free Mac AV, and if you're not using it and you're not aware of what I'm talking about and you want to get a copy of our software, www.sophos.com slash free Mac AV for home use or nonprofit, non-commercial use, go nuts, doesn't cost anything. Um, but there's a lot more to Mac security than just, you know, the malware threat, right? And so, you know, where are we going with the future of Mac security and how can Mac users, you know, more broadly have a safer online experience? Um, well, the, I mean, one of the one of the things that we're, we're looking at doing and, and we've done recently on on the Windows platform and, and we're, we're looking at moving across to the Mac as well is is doing more active filtering of, of web traffic. 
Um, you know, if, if we, we already have products, if you're in a corporate environment, that, that will allow you to filter all the web traffic coming into your organization. But, but that's not really good enough nowadays. Everyone's moving around. We've got, of course, lots of home users using our Mac product, but everyone's working from Starbucks, working from, um, from airports and that sort of thing. Especially so, so Mac users. I mean, Mac users Mac more users. than ever. You see the MacBooks everywhere outside of yeah, you know, the absolutely. office. They're never tied to a desk yeah. very often. And there's, what, 54 million of them now, I think uh, Steve Jobs said in, the, in his keynote at the developer conference this week. So, so there's, there's a, lot of, uh, a lot of Mac users out there. And um, uh, so, so, so we think that, that we need to put more of that web security capability actually onto the, onto the um, machine itself, on, onto the, the, the desktop itself. And so um, what we want to do is, is you know, we, we've got a great database of, of URLs, um, which is constantly being updated as our Sophos Labs guys, as they find new sites, as they trawl the sort of search engine optimization tricks that these, the bad guys do, and they find new sites, and they, and they, which they know are leading into um, fake antivirus attacks. Um, phishing attacks, other kinds of attacks. And we want to we want to bring that intelligence and put it on to make it available to all of our Mac customers as well. So that that's something we're looking at doing um, in the you know over the next uh, next um, sort of six to twelve months um, is, is is really adding that stuff in, in into the Mac. And and I think it's important because it's not just about it's not just about this current spate of, of, of malware, but it's about you know phishing threats. It's about the other kinds of things which aren't even binary code. They're not even specific to any kind of platform. But just because you're out there on the on the internet, you're you're making yourself vulnerable to. Yeah, I think that's really the one of the key points that where we can do a better job moving forward of helping Mac users stay safe. I mean, turning on the Apple firewall that's built yeah. in is step one. You know, yeah. step two, actually look for malicious things coming down because it is happening and there are real things out there. And God, God knows, at least help protect your Windows friends by not spreading around their viruses. Yeah. But even bigger than that, you know, when we get, uh, you know, we have this tips at Sophos.com address that people send us tips that we might want to write about on Naked Security. And we see... A, a large portion of these people are falling victim to phishing attacks for their Gmail, their PayPal, yeah. um, different Facebook scams, click jacking, all these different things. These are platform agnostic. This isn't about Windows versus Mac versus Linux. This is happening on their iPhones, their iPads, their Androids. It's agnostic. It's it's you know it, it's it's truly equal opportunity criminalism, yeah. and and social engineering. The flaw is in the people. I mean, you don't want to, you hate to tell people that they're the problem, but we are the problem. All of us are the problem, yeah. even more than the technology. And, and no amount of shiny jobs happiness yeah. and, yeah. and fruit-shaped logos on the back of something is going to protect you from being tricked. Yeah, well, if you think about it, you think about what the actual ta- what's the actual target of, of these things, of these guys. And, and back, back in the days, back in the days when I was a, a young antivirus person, um, the, you know, the, the target was the computer. The target was let, let's get something on someone's screen. Let, let's let's annoy the computer. Let's delete some data. Let's let you know it's graffiti, the electronic graffiti era of antivirus. Now the target is the user. It's the user's wallet and it's the user's um, the user's actions um, uh, on, on the network. You know, there, there's al- there's always something else um, that, that they want you to do. And so the users are become become the weak link. So it's no longer just about attacking the machine. It's about attacking the user and tricking the user. And and you know there are people who think, well, I you know I can always spot one of these things a mile off. I don't need um, a piece of software on my computer to help me, and and if you believe that, well, you know, good luck to you. But but don't don't tell other people that they don't need that help. I think it, it, well, that's, it's, an, yeah, that's an interesting message. point. Yeah, I, I haven't heard others express it that way, but that's a really good point. Like, I guess if you're really dead set on. I'm smarter than that. I don't need yeah. to worry about it. Fine. You know, I mean, I, I don't know if I believe that. I used to believe that to some degree myself. But then after sitting in the labs and seeing some of the things that we see, I'm just <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. 
oh man, there's no hope that my, I can't teach my mom enough to stop this from happening to her. There's not, it's not possible. And the only way I can pull these things apart and know that they're fake is I literally go and, 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 you know, pull up Netcat and retrieve the pages by hand yeah. and look at the headers and go, yeah, so it's 99.3% PayPal, yeah. <laughs> but it's the 0. 0.7 that's the problem, right? And it's really a tough problem, but yeah, not discouraging others is great advice in that most of us don't want to spend the time to worry about it, right? We yeah. want the computer to be a tool that we just turn on and use it just like we always have. Yeah. And we want that experience to be safe without having to just second guess every website we go to and decide whether it might be malicious or not. Yeah. Um, so that I, I really like that. And, and I think it kind of ties back to the first story about the Sony LulzSec, you know, all this stuff. We have a resurgence of this original digital graffiti thing happening at the same time. And it's a distraction again. Like we're getting distracted. Like the news is Sony hacked again, Sony hacked again, Sony hacked again. When the news should be, Today, another 1.2 million people sent $10 to criminals. Yeah. Like, that should be the news item every single day until we wake up to the threat because we're financing these guys to attack us. Yeah. And we're being bled to death. It's a death of, you know, by a thousand cuts kind of thing. And somehow that's not news, but it's news that some database of email addresses was dumped, which is really unfortunate for those victims. But compared to the other stuff that's going on with the fake AV at $80 a pop and the, the credentials being stolen to banking sites and all these other things, why is that not on World News Tonight or CNN or Al Jazeera for that matter? I mean, why is that not the, the leading story? I don't know. I don't know <laughs> yeah. either. We're, we're working I guess on it was a rhetorical problem. question. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but in the, the, the scale, I think the other thing that, that, that constantly boggles my mind about this is the, is the scale that's involved. The, the, the number of, of, of things that are... That are the number of accounts that are compromised, the number of, of customers whose data is, is leaked. And then if you think of the number of those that, that they actually have to successfully exploit in order to make some money, in order to make a, a profit, you know, it, co it costs cost them a few dollars to, 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 to launch the attack. So they only need to actually be successful with, with a fraction of a percentage point of those, those, those accounts. And it's the same with all of this information that, that, that's out there that... that um, um, you know, it, it, it's there. It's being stored up. It's, it's, it's. I'm sure they've got their. They're building up these databases, and and you never know when or who who, who is going to be attacked there. So. Well, that's the thing too. When people go, oh, well, I, you know, my credit card was stolen in the Sony incident, but you know, it was a month and there was nothing on my credit card. Everything's fine. Well, most of these guys will lay low for a while before they start selling this stuff off. They let the heat die down, and they don't want to immediately draw the attention of the authorities because the authorities also lose interest in things after a while. They're a lot more clever than most folks give them credit for. I mean, there are a lot of random idiots out there uh, doing basic petty cybercrime, just like real crime, knocking in you in the subway and grabbing your wallet. But there are also a lot of these guys that are trying to steal the Hope Diamond and know what they're doing and are very clever and are willing to be patient. And those are the ones to be scared of. But, well, that wraps up the time we have today, Rich. I appreciate you joining us here on Chat Chat number 63. Uh, as always, our podcasts are available on podcasts.sophos.com, on iTunes, via RSS, and now, beginning this week, available on Stitcher.com. So if you're an Android or an iPhone user and want to stream podcasts to your phone, we're available through that service as well. For the latest stories, always visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And thanks for being with us, Rich. Thanks for having me, Chad. It's been great. And until next time, stay secure.